Welcome back, everybody, to the next in our series of EdAnts IVPN podcasts. And today, we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Matthew Glasgow. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to see you. How are you today? No problem. Happy to be here. No, I'm doing very well, uh, keeping very busy. Excellent. Well, you work with EdAnts as well as with a number of other companies. You've got a lot going on. Could you tell us a little bit about your background, please? Like, what is it that motivates you as a researcher, as a scientist? Sure. Well, I mean, it's it's always a little bit of a challenge to sometimes describe oneself in, in succinct terms, and, and I often find myself doing it uh, with slightly different framing depending on who I'm talking to. But I'm, I'm a medical doctor by by training, and and the path that I've taken to get to where I am now is is a little bit serendipitous, but um, and and it represents a few few interests, different interests along the way. Uh, but I've I've spent a lot of time working in clinical practice in New Zealand in the public health system and um, in the in the private sector, um, working in a number of different clinical specialties. And I, I moved in by personal choice to the area of sports medicine. Uh, prior to, as I say, through serendipity, kind of getting into the area of the intersection of of in IT information technology and and uh, medicine. Um, that was because of just the way an opportunity happened to show up at a certain point in time. And that's kind of led me into a space where I've been able to stretch my legs and satisfy an interest in, in trying to help improve outcomes, clinical outcomes, health outcomes for, for broader audiences rather than on a one-to-one -one basis. And there's many things that I, I miss about the one-to-one -one interactions of, of clinical practice, but I do enjoy where I am now in terms of helping helping improve outcomes, health outcomes for, for a wider audience, for both in a, in a population health setting, but also in a, in a research and an academic setting. That's really interesting. I mean, at EdAnts, we do a lot of work in this area, of course, as you know, like on health longevity, health economics, these kinds yes. of areas. Could you tell us a few things about some of the work that you've done with EdAnts, maybe some of your most interesting, interesting projects recently over there in New Zealand? Well, I'm, I'm I'm really fortunate and actually and, and, and grateful that the people I work with within within the company are, have have gone out of their way to find you know to pass on to me jobs that specifically meet meet my interests. I mean, I'm I'm fairly flexible in terms of what I like. I like I like learning on the job, and I and I have a lot of opportunity to do that. So I don't mind if I the area of um, specialty specialty the area of of, of um, clinical research, the populations I'm working with are new to me. I, I enjoy working with new populations. Um, so that's certainly cropped up along the way. But in essence, um, what I have been doing of late and what I've been doing and what I am currently doing overlap and they're almost, almost the same thing. Um, in essence, what I've been doing is a lot of systematic reviews to analyse landscapes related to specific problems. Uh, and as you say, often related to um, prediction of outcomes, um, improving outcomes in a otherwise healthy population, so not necessarily dealing with uh, acute conditions, but, but taking potentially a person off the street who who may have a set of health parameters associated with them, and, and um, you know working out what a person can do to improve their improve their outcomes, improve their uh, or improve their decrease their risk of specific clinical conditions, or improve their um, quality of life on a long-term basis. It's been a little bit of a recurring theme for, for a number of projects I've been doing of late. 
Yeah, and it's it's a recurring theme for the work that we're doing at Edant. Um, I know, um, trying to find ways to predict um, how um, long people's lives might be based on based on simple predictors, like, for example, walking speed is one big project that we've been involved in at Edant um, over the last few months and years. And we'll talk about systematic reviews in a minute because that's one of the services that we provide. But yes. I mean, health economics is something that I know will be of great interest to many of our audience members on this podcast. So could you give us just a short introduction to health economics in simple yeah. terms, please? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I, I got into health economics because, um, well, it, health economics is um, a broad topic that's, that's underpinned by general economics, but I got into it because of the disease modeling aspect, um, the um, decision analytic modeling aspect. Um, so uh, modeling, the diseases over their natural history and 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 assessing outcomes based on on different decisions that can be made in terms of their management. Um, and a key aspect of that is surveying the literature quite broadly to have an understanding of of all the variables that will impact on um, on the natural history of a disease and 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 the outcomes and um, doing what is possible to pin numbers to to those variables. So health economics as I've concretely been involved in is a, um, um, a, a an approach to resolving uncertainty when um, op options that are that are available to you have both benefits and costs so it's not about um, just assessing the costs of something that's kind of clear-cut it's about making and helping decision decision makers allocate resources where, where scarcity exists and make decisions between two paths where there are both uh, uh, benefits and and costs, I think, is the highest level. And there's a number of different ways to do that. There's cost effectiveness, cost benefit, and cost utility analysis. Those are the sort of things that I've predominantly been involved with. Very interesting. I mean, our audience um, on this podcast are mostly pharmacologists, and the IVPN network, obviously, like lots of colleagues, clinical pharmacists, research pharmacists, and people... Um, um, involved at the sharp end. So, I mean, this is a huge area where there's going to be, there are like benefits um, and economic consequences, especially um, around polypharmacy. And this has been in the news recently internationally. So do you have some thoughts on on the economics of, of polypharmacy or this kind of area um, from your experience? I, I actually find it a really interesting, interesting topic. And I, I've come across it quite recently in relation to predicting outcomes in the otherwise, you know, in the, in the patient who doesn't have active problems even. Um, but I, my, my recollections of polypharmacy and its implications go back to when I was a, when I was a medical student working on general medical boards and, and, um, and with geriatric with older populations. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's <laughs> pharmacists in the audience will absolutely know it's a very, not very significant risk factor for a number of different can, uh, outcomes and not just because of the the known interactions or the known adverse effects, but uh, th there are strong correlations between outcomes, between polypharmacy, the number of medications you're on, and outcomes that are actually independent of the actual conditions that they're treating or the known adverse effects. Uh, polypharmacy has been shown to have an impact on, on mobility regardless of the actual medications. If you're on six or more medications longitudinally, you'll have a, about a four times increase uh, in terms of impact on your mobility. and um, Cross-sectionally, I think the odds ratio for, for impaired mobility is, is, is three times odd. Uh, like I say, regardless of the 
conditions that are being treated, all the medications and the known interactions. So polypharmacy is a very significant topic, an interesting topic. And um, I personally, as a practicing clinician, historically have a little of appreciation for the uh, input from pharmacists who you know, can assist with medication reviews and streamlining uh, medication lists in, in, in patients uh, where there is a goal to reduce the number of medications that they're on but still achieve good outcomes. Yeah, I mean, the involvement of pharmacists in that in that prescribing process obviously varies internationally. But I mean, would you have like some thoughts on that, like how we can get pharmacists more involved in in that kind of clinical end of things and, and the prescription end of things to maybe deal with this problem a little bit more effectively? Um, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if I've got strong advice from a, on a, on a you know, absolute practical level, but more perhaps more on a theoretical level. I just I think that we fully need to acknowledge uh, the importance of, of different specialties. I know that practicing doctors, uh, general practitioners and so forth, um, don't necessarily have the luxury of time um, in all instances to fully critique a, a complex medication list or, or robustly or appropriately critique a, um, a complex medication list to see how it might be able to be streamlined or to see where the significant issues of, of interactions may lie. Uh, so I think I think just acknowledging that, that different roles can come into play um, when managing a more complex patient, a patient with multiple comorbidities and consequently multiple medications, I think that's one of the probably biggest uh, starting points for that conversation. Yeah, just more collaboration, I think, is, is, yeah. is hugely important. I'm, I'm a, um, particularly with a complex patient, I'm a, a big fan of management teams. Uh, I, I, I don't think any one group, you know, doctors uh, can can take an entire load by themselves. I think there's a lot of valuable input from a lot of um, in, ancillary uh, practitioners and clinicians involved that can be involved in complex complex patients. And training too. I mean, something that we're doing at Edance now is providing more and more training for our colleagues within the IVPN network. For example, working with the Ministry of Health in Oman, like dealing with groups of pharmacists who are trying to get into research because a lot of our listeners are working pharmacists they may not have all that much direct training in research in writing and publishing but they're collecting lots of data and they're interacting with patients all the time we talked about systematic reviews that's something that we do at edance all the time provide that service for busy doctors survey the literature for people who might not otherwise have the time to do it themselves. But um, do you have some advice maybe for how some of our audience members can get into research and go ahead and publish some of their observations and well, data? The first thought that comes to mind on that topic is um, don't is, is, is don't undervalue what you have available to you. Don't undervalue the, your own data or, or your own resources don't underestimate its value because I, I personally having to undertake systematic reviews for um, landscape analyses or systematic reviews for economic analyses find frequently that there's no there's no such thing as too much, an abundance of data can increase a workload but generally speaking conceptually speaking I don't think there's such a thing as too much data and I, and I say that for a couple of reasons 
uh, if you if you undertake a, a bit of a, a landscape analysis in a specific field of interest, you'll almost always find some sort of knowledge gaps and some sort of areas that need to be be explored. But beyond that, there's there's always a need for additional data, additional publications, research in distinct populations. It's surprising how useful, well, in some ways, I guess it's not surprising how useful data can be in a very specific population. It, it's a recurring theme that I've come across that you can't just use in a systematic review data from one population and extrapolate it necessarily and comfortably to another population. So never underestimate the value of, of your own data and don't, don't, don't sell it short. Uh, uh, I think the, the, the first hurdle to get over is to acknowledge that what you may have available to you is worth publishing and, and there's an audience for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't undervalue your data. And there's no such thing as too much data. And if anyone listening to this is thinking, hey, I've got lots of data, but I'm not sure what to do with it, then why don't you get in touch with our team? We can certainly provide a consultation session, have a look at your data and tell you or give you some advice, I should say, on on what kinds of areas of research or what kinds of journals or what kinds of knowledge gaps could be addressed with that Data. Great, great. Well, um, you mentioned at the beginning of our chat, um, uh, Dr. Glasgow, that you used to be or you are a sports doctor. So tennis, that's, you know, something that I've never been any good at myself. But um, what about working as a doctor on the on the tennis circuit? That sounds fascinating. Yes, I worked for, for about five years here in New Zealand, um, seeing patients, uh, professional tennis players as they as they came through New Zealand. Um, from the Association of Tennis Professionals. And I mean, I've also worked in particular with, not to um, side, to take a, too much of a side route, but I've worked with rugby league and other events like like the Ironman Triathlon. And I think it's, I'm keen to just sort of mention that because one thing I found really interesting about sports medicine is the specificity of things you're likely to encounter depending on the type of athletes and the sports they're playing. And, and um, I, it, it was quite so it was quite interesting to me along the way in my practice of sports medicine, seeing the differences between tennis players and rugby players and um, um, endurance athletes, for instance. Uh, but the tennis offered me a lot of fun opportunities. And uh, again, it, it, it harks back to something I was just saying. There's a, it's a very much a team effort in terms of interaction between physiotherapists and trainers and having a, a clinician available to attend to acute um, injuries or injuries that require uh, uh, investigation by a, by a, a medical doctor. Um, so I, I saw some interesting things, but I also got to enjoy a lot of very high-level fun fun sport participating in uh, sports medicine and touring with, with teams in New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, we, we read a lot about the overlap between pharmacists and, and sports medicine. And yeah, um, that's, that's really, really, really interesting. Uh, so, I mean, thank you very much for participating in our EdAnts IVPN podcast series. I know you're a professional podcaster or semi-professional podcaster working a lot like in your family with with podcasts and, and audio broadcasts. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe you've got some tips and tricks for improving these kinds of podcasts in the future from your experience? Oh, look, I, I enjoy podcasting. As you say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it if I don't enjoy it. And part of the, I mean, I don't consider myself a, a public speaker. It's not something I enjoy doing. But when it comes to talking to an audience about a topic that you enjoy, I 
that's something I find that I'm like I personally enjoy. And part of the trick to that is selecting topics and selecting audiences where you can imagine yourself as as part of the audience. That's the thing that that's really kind of got me into it. I, in terms of all of the content creation I do, both in terms of research and outside of clinical research, I think it's a matter of selecting topics that that you find interesting and that. If you weren't the one creating the content, you would be the one consuming the content. That's great. That's great. And I know you're going to give us a few links and and other resources that we can share with our audience. So people listening to this, if they're interested in learning more about the work that you're doing um, and the work that we're doing at EdAnce, then you'll be able to get in touch. So Dr. Matthew Glasgow, thank you so much for for joining us today on this EdAnce IVPN podcast. Um, Hope that we'll um, catch up in person one of these days. Have a great day and thank you again very much for your time. My pleasure. Great talking to you.